Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Chris Johns with SBD Housing. And Chris flew in from Kansas City, Missouri. Talk about how they're scaling into 12 different markets. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top home buyers in the country. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how to become one of the 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough for you to become one in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, then you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a message on Instagram and we'll see if we can help you with that. If you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Chris to answer. You ready? I am. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Boy, Steve, that's a great question. So um, about a decade ago, I was in corporate America doing the traditional grind that um, that so many people like me were doing. And realizing it was something I probably didn't want to do forever, but was likely going to have to do. And ended up meeting and playing golf with a gentleman who was selling this thing called a turnkey asset um, or rental properties that I really didn't understand, ended up befriending him. Um, and it just happens to be Mark Delator, owner of SBD Housing. Um, but at that time, he started explaining to me the benefits of you know, bringing on real estate as a passive investment um, to drive income later in life. And so initially bought my first asset from Mark. So uh, this is 10 years ago. Yeah, this was about 10 so years ago. Exactly, 2011. Yep. You're an executive selling, what were you selling? Medical uh, diagnostics, yeah. Okay, so you're selling medical diagnostics, doing well. Yeah, life was good. And you were living? At that time in Kansas City. So you were in Kansas City at this yep. time. And this guy, Mark, yep. is just hanging out at the country club. Um, it's a little worse than that, actually. So I go, I'm, I'm a new member. Yeah, no. He should have been. Um, <laughs> I'm a new member, and I was a decent player at the time. And the pros like, oh, you're, you know, you're a decent player. You should go play with this gentleman. Mm -hmm. Sure, great. I'll play with anybody. So he convinces me that we just play a straight up game. I don't know him from Adam, and he goes on to just beat the living snot out of me. <laughs> Come to find out, at that time he was like, you know, two time club champ. He was on to become like ten time club champ. So that's how I met Mark. So he's pretty good at golf. Well, and he's pretty good at not uh, not setting a bet. Yeah. So anyhow, I got to meet Mark, became friends, and really started buying turnkey real estate with the hope of building up a portfolio so that one day, if I ever tired of corporate America, uh, I'd be in a position to say, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. I've got 30, 40 rentals that are producing X amount of cash flow. I'm not going to do that thing you're asking me to do. Mm -hmm. I'm out. So that right. was the plan. So that's different than most people because most people, you know, they're reading a book or, you know, uh, they're miserable at their jobs, yeah. and they're like, something's got to give. That was not your situation. Well, I, you know, I like everybody else who's listened to this, certainly had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. um, but I was raised, like so many Americans, to put my money in the stock market. You mm -hmm. know, um, my wife, myself, you know, we had our 401ks. Um, if we had a good year and we had some leftover money, it would go into Roth IRA. Uh, maybe at that stage, you know, we were into traditional IRAs, yeah. but that was what I had been learning. Even though I'd read that, you still get programmed. Mm -hmm. Certainly if you're a corporate employee, max out your 401k. And I was a Dave Ramsey fan and Susie Orman. So I read it all. Was. Was. You were a Dave Ramsey. Okay. Um, so we can talk about that too. That next, yeah, we can talk right. about Dave. Still a big fan. But yeah. um, so anyhow, um, but Mark really opened my eyes to what that could do for me. Um, and what was most amazing, you know, if you read any of the literature, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you're reading the book, whatever. How The question isn't, is it a good idea, Steve? It's how can I do it? Mm -hmm. I was not going to be able to find a distressed asset, 
You certainly didn't want me rehabbing it. <laughs> I didn't know what property management was. You certainly couldn't pick out a good rental rate. So mm -hmm. it wasn't that I didn't believe in real estate. It just wasn't easy and available for me to invest in. Yeah. And that's really um, what SBD Housing, Mark De La Torre, was able to change for me at that time was to bring something that was really hands-off um, and something I could implement pretty easily. So is that similar to your clientele today when you sell in turnkey? Is people, executives or people that are hired net worth individuals that know real estate is the key, but don't have the bandwidth or resources to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, it is, it is individuals that see the value in real estate, not just turnkey, but real estate in general, Steve. Um, maybe are either not in love with the stock market or maybe have some money in the stock market, but are looking to diversify um, and see real estate as that key. But again, they're busy, yeah. they're professionals, or they recognize, I don't want to do that. I'd be bad at that. And we provide that solution. So really, in the end, SBD these days is providing investment opportunities backed by real estate um, for high net worth individuals who are looking to expand um, their portfolio and ideally use real estate uh, as a way to ensure their legacy. And how many properties did you buy from Mark? Um, I, I bought seven. So you bought seven properties from Mark. Yep. And then over a span of how much time? Gosh, it, uh, it kind of dripped in and out over the years. So probably over six or seven years. Yep. Okay. So what was it that prompted the conversation that you guys should link up? Boy, um, so I looked, you know, it's interesting, Steve. When I was in corporate, uh, again, happy to have been there, learned a tremendous number of things, was able to do a lot of good things for my family. Um, but early on, I realized that I didn't enjoy it. Um, I was, you know, it just wasn't who I was, uh, who I wanted to be, and it was just taking a big toll on me. And I knew um, if I was successful, I'd get the opportunity to be promoted again and take on more responsibility. Um, and then if I did that really well, I could do that again with more people that I didn't like mm -hmm. or trust. Um, and I had just a clear vision. I looked at the, at the players that were, you know, at the SVP level, they were exhausted. They were 55, they were overweight, had a heart attack, divorced, etc. I mean, that's just, you know, a little generality here, but that's the truth. Uh, I mean, honestly, when I was working at Intel, that's kind of what I was looking at. You know, I was like, okay, so everyone that's like the future path. The success. The success is I get promoted to management. None of the managers are happy. Correct. They're all working 50, 60 hours. They're expected to work on weekends and reply to emails at night. There was not a road. There was not a, a lane for me to fill working no. in the corporate world. Just so grind you it saw, out, man. So just do it more. Do just it do more of it. Yeah. You make more money, but you're not enjoying life. Correct. And so I was just at that stage where I, I knew there had to be a better way. Um, I didn't know what it was. And, you know, through conversation with Mark, recognizing that if I could build up cash flow, which clearly the stock market um, is build up and deplete method, right? Mm -hmm. But if I could build up some cash flow by using rentals, um, ideally I'd be at that stage, whatever it was, I'd, I was going to grind it out, but clearly I haven't because I'm here today um, and have 30 assets kicking off a couple hundred, $300,000 a year, whatever that looked like. So one day I could say, no, that's not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. but that was going to be like in my mid fifties. But something changed. Something did change. What changed? Um, boy, a lot changed. So, um, you know, for really for Mark, something changed, which brought a great opportunity for me, Steve. Got it. So, um, you know, I know Mark's been on the podcast and shared the story with you. So I'll give you, you know, kind of the high level. But 
you know, when he was building the business, the main acquisition channel was really buying on the courthouse steps through the auction process. Um, and as auction.com and some other things in the market changed and evolved, um, it became so competitive that margin was just getting depleted and depleted and depleted. And Mark's, he, he's a visionary, he's an expert in this space, saw that coming and thought, I need to find a better way. Um, and I was a sales guy, you know, building sales teams for a long time. He said, hey, I need to do this seller direct thing. I need to start buying assets, not raise my hand. Mm -hmm. um, you could help me with that. So I started doing some consulting for Mark, helping him look at what a sales- Using your corporate about. background. Using my corporate background. Um, on my limited nights and weekends in exchange for discounts on real estate. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was going to be fine. I was going to help him in that way. But then I had an opportunity to go with him down to Collective Genius um, just to check it out. He kept talking about this Collective Genius, CG, CG, this, that. But I was like, you want to go? And I'm like, sure, let me go see what your investor buddies do. Um, blew my mind, clearly, like you know. Um, smartest, greatest people. Um, organized, helping each other, go-givers, and it just was so different. So anyhow, I, uh, I see that Mark's in a position where the weight of the world's on his shoulders as a solopreneur. He's tired. He's not having fun anymore. Um, and we went to dinner that night, and he was just whooped. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go down to my house, you know, down the coast. Uh, you're going to head out. So Mark left. I got on the airplane the next day. I was so excited about what I saw. And knew what real estate could do for people. I knew what I could do for Mark. It was crystal clear, right? I saw what CG can do and I saw what I was good at. So I took out my iPad and not many people know the story. And I started typing all the reasons that Mark needed to hire me. And, um, and I just kept going and going. Bring a sales presentation. Essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was. And I mean, he's a dear friend of mine. Sarah Beth's a dear, you know, our families are close and um, I wanted to help him. So ironically, I get off the airplane. I get a text message that says, hey, can you talk in the morning? Whatever time is good for you. Sure. Mark calls me the next morning. Is like, hey, I've had a chance to reflect. I've talked to my wife. I've talked to my dad. I really think you should come work for me. Uh, and you know, I, I buried the lead here. I gave him the out, and I was like, I agree with you. He's like, well, think about it. I said, Mark, I can send you an email right now with the top 10 reasons you need to hire me. So we're pretty, pretty much in alignment on this thing. So... Um, call it what you want, you know, happenstance, God thing is what Mark and I refer to it. It's just, it was meant to be. You didn't play any hard to get at all. Um, he, like, I don't know. He would argue uh, <laughs> some of those things I did. We might have had a disagreement on my value. Uh, initially, <laughs> I, I think we're fine with it now. Uh, no, I mean, man, I was, I was tired and I was ready to make a change too. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So. When was this that you guys that you guys initially partnered up? So it would have been um, April of nineteen. Okay, so really not that long ago. Two and a half years. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking on the flight down here. You guys have done a lot. A little yeah. bit's changed, right? Three years ago, I was you know over in Europe selling digital pathology, and now mm -hmm. I'm here on the Steve Trang podcast. <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking, boy, I used to listen to uh, Doug Hopkins on my Sundays when I lived here in Arizona. Um, now I get to pleasure of hanging out with Doug and Darren okay. and those guys. Very yeah. different. Much has changed. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about scaling right now. Yeah. Which you and I had lunch just a moment ago. And I think that scaling is one of, the, one of the things everyone talks about. It's a buzzword, I believe, in our industry. Oh, yeah. But I don't think people realize what it takes to scale. So you guys started very 
in Kansas City, obviously. Yep. You want to talk about the foundation? Uh, we'll start with the foundation and some of the challenges along the way. Yeah. And actually scaling a business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when Mark and I talked about me coming on board, it wasn't to keep the status quo. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, nor was he interested in me coming and maintaining the business the way it was. It just wouldn't have been fun. Still, I don't want to say young as you and I've been joking about here the last, uh, over lunch. But, but it wouldn't be worth it to either one of you guys. No, no, I just, no, it wasn't, it wouldn't excite me. And mm. I wanted to be excited. Mm. So, you know, we kind of set up some ambitious goals at that time and, and said, okay, hey, let's go do this. Let's do this together. And let's grow this thing because the demand for the product was so high. So the first thing that I told Mark and Sarah Beth was, hey, I'm excited, but there's going to have to be, you know, some kind of ground rules. And Mark had his. And, and one of mine was, if you're really, really in love with all of your team, and so much so that we're not going to be able to make the necessary personnel decisions should we have to, just tell me now because I'm not coming. I'm not. My background was building underperforming teams in corporate America and helping them become high-performing teams. I've done it. It used to mm. take about, I tell Mark it's going to take 18 months. The, I could tell him all the things. I did it like four like times. The, you're the consultant that comes in. Uh, I mean, there's office space, right? The Bobs. Or, yeah. <laughs> you read the Bobs? Man, uh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, and we'll get to the integrator Efficiency role. Efficiency experts. That's, but they, that's the integrator role, right? Yeah. I mean, we're... Um, like it or not, and I'm comfortable with it. Uh, he's the good news guy. I'm I'm the bad news guy. Yeah, that's just the reality. So you know, so I, I I knew that we would have to make some personnel changes as soon as it was announced that I was coming on board. Um, our two acquisition guys left within I don't know four weeks. Oh, okay. Um, they just and they knew me. I'd been consulting with them, and they're like, "Oh, when he says it, he means it." Yeah. Um, and when he says he wants to measure it, he's actually going to write it down. Yeah. Which is way different than your typical solopreneur visionary who's mm -hmm. like, hey, guys, go do this. And you just assume as a visionary that if you say it, it magically gets done. You say that it gets done, and the team's trained to know that even though you said it, you might not mean it. Correct. Yeah, they should just know everything that you want and go do it at the highest level mm -hmm. um, immediately. Right. That's all. But then when Chris says it, it's actually going to happen. Or, or the, well, it may or may not, but there will be a level of accountability. Right. Right? Got it. All right, so two weeks, or four weeks in, two guys are gone. Yep. Out of how many? Uh, when we started, there was 17 employees. Okay. So two off the bat. And then what? Um, over time, as you know, as, and again, this is not just with any small business. This is when you're rebuilding any team, right? Mm. Um, when you take the bar from here to here, some people just aren't able or willing to, mm -hmm. to go. Uh, some people just refuse to go. And so if you fast forward to, to today. People are comfortable. Like, yeah. This is the way it's always been, Chris. Like, how can you come in here and change it like this? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, you don't know how we do things here. Yeah. Right? Right. I know you're new. You heard so let things. me tell you, of course, always. Let me Before Mark and at Mark's place. Always. Yeah. Every time. It's expected. Mm -hmm. Um. I've never come into a role where they're like, hey, Chris, we're super excited you're here. We've been blowing out budget year over year. We've got great process. We've hired the best people. Um, our culture is really, really good. Um, glad you're here. If you don't mind, just sip some coffee in the, in the corner. Right? You know, never ever have I taken over a position where we had 
the outcomes that were that were expected from the leadership team prior. Right. So what's interesting here is you come in again as an efficiency expert. I'm not sure that's the right term. Yeah. Right. But you're improving performance. Right. You're coming here to improve performance. Absolutely. Start off with personnel, not processes, not systems. Personnel. Personnel just happens naturally when a leader or business owner chooses to bring somebody in to layer accountability in the business. Got it. I didn't have to do anything, Steve. Um, and not that I necessarily wanted to, right? I mean, in a perfect world, everybody stays, everybody grows, you create the business outcomes. Perfect yeah. world. Be great. Yeah. Um, but again, as you and I both know, the COO integrator is now the Kumbaya guy. No. Um, so yeah, so naturally people, you know, a trade out. Um, and then as you, you know, as I began to learn the business while I was buying real estate, I will certainly tell you, I did not know real estate now like I do today. Yeah. So, you know, what we ended up doing and, uh, it was really interesting. It worked out very well. Mark did his absolute best to allow me to make mistakes and to allow me to learn the business. So the first thing I did was jumped into one department, learned the business with him coaching and guiding me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went from department to department. And as I went there and understood the business, well, then you start doing these silly things like asking questions. Yeah. And they're like, well, we always do it that way. And I'm like, okay, that's actually, you'll learn that's my least favorite answer to any question I ever ask. So you can say it, but it's like the worst answer. There's only one answer for me that's worse than that. What's that? Well, I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just brain damage. We've always done it that way. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we're not meeting our goals, so maybe we should change. All right. Um, so as I learned the business and asked more questions, I think people even became more aware, like, oh, these guys really believe in creating something different. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're paying attention now. Right. Maybe I'm not the right person. Yeah, we're actually monitoring this now. Correct. So I want to ask you this, because I think a lot of people have a hard time with holding people accountable. Yeah. How many people did you have to fire and how many people deselected themselves? Um... I would say it's probably 70% deselect out. Yeah. And so and like, that's historically. Yeah. I've had to let very few people go. And I bring that up because for a lot of us that are really uncomfortable firing, it's like, you usually don't have to. If we just say, here's the standard, and every week I have to have a one on one with you, but you're not meeting the standard, you will get tired of showing up to these meetings. Absolutely. And, you know, and with a corporate background, um, you know, we talk, we talk EOS and all the things mm -hmm. that are now happening in a lot of these smaller businesses. But from a, from a guy who came from, you know, big, big companies, you know, Fortune 500 companies, um, I learned very well how to performance manage. Mm -hmm. And if I had to tell you and you didn't know, you're obtuse. Like, yeah. I mean, we, we've had the discussion, we've written it down, we've gone through the performance plan. Like, most people are like, I, I, I'm out before I ever have to have that difficult conversation. Yeah. But where I see others struggle, um, those who like want accountability but don't believe in it, they have that, that difficult conversation. Then tomorrow they go, I mean, Steve, I know we talked yesterday, but if you could just try, that'd be okay too. That was me. Terrible. <laughs> That's why I have everyone That's why else That's you got here. guy. Yeah, I met a whole group of smart people. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so you're talking about, you know, your, your strength is getting performance. Let's talk about that. Cause I think, again, you know, I think that's 
something we don't really talk enough of on this show because here we're talking about scaling. So if your your job is to improve performance, what are some two or three things that someone can do to immediately improve performance in the organization? So, uh, I mean, it, it's you and I've talked about this once. Every business is a people business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're talking about these difficult, well, again, I don't think accountability is a dirty word. Okay. Like we'll talk about it later again. I love accountability. I love to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. High performance players love accountability, right? Yep. A players want to play with a players. Absolutely. Right. A players do not stick around with B, but they can tolerate B players. They sure will not stick around with C and don't waste their time with D players. That's Mm -hmm. just the reality. So. But it all, so to get back to that, you know, it starts with people. So hiring, hiring and firing starts there. Steve, don't be afraid to let somebody go. I look back over my career and I was talking to one of our team members the other day. I've never let anybody go who was honest, hardworking, committed, and transparent. It just doesn't happen Mm -hmm. because if you know me, I'm going to stay there till eight o'clock every night working my tail off to help you get to where you want to go. Yeah. If you're those things, if you're not time to go, it's not going to work. That's not going to work. So don't be afraid to let, make transition your company. Mm-hmm. When you do, are those your core company core values or is that different? Those are different. Okay. Um, and we'll talk core values later because those are critical about the next part I'm going to bring up. Hire well, hire well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear it all the time, slow to hire, fast to fire. That's easier said than done. But with good process, it becomes true. Yeah. Um, but we've made a massive commitment, massive commitment to bringing on the best talent, supporting those people and creating a great onboarding process. Are we yeah. good at it yet? Um, Mark would say yes. I'd say no. I'm the pessimist. He's the optimist. So uh, I grade everything. I don't think I've ever given an A in my life. Um, so I'll give us a C, uh, which is probably like a B. So we're getting better at those things. Mm-hmm. So create a great onboarding process and, and bring on good people. So one, yeah. people. Two, uh, I'm, I'm going to give like simple stuff here. Great, great, great process. It's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. Do we have everything written down? No. Will we at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at least give somebody a direction to go from. Well, I like that, right? Because I think a lot of people are trying to perfect their process. And here you're saying, you don't even need to write it down, but there has to be a process that's teachable. Yeah. Ideally written down. Maybe better, trainable, whatever. Exactly. But at least have a process that you can communicate. Hundred percent. Which know, is, I think, there's this barrier that a lot of people stop. I don't. I need to perfect this. So one of my favorite sayings is never let perfect get in the way of good enough. Mm-hmm. You know. So we have scaled um, substantially over the last two and a half years. Right. Volume and revenue and all of those things. Um, number of FTEs. All of that. Um, you could argue irresponsibly because we have not written it all down. It mm-hmm. does cause me a little angst, but we scaled and we've grown and we've accomplished a tremendous amount because we, we didn't have to have it perfect. Could we have scaled if we wrote it all down? If I brought in here this beautiful training manual and you could say, or even better to your point, trainial, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd invite me here because you're probably interested because we've produced results. Right. Yeah. So... It's easy to say, you know, we got to hire well. But I think a lot of people that are beginning to scale, not even scaled yet, beginning to scale is this is their biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell someone that's going to hire now? Like how, how would you coach someone to hire well? So, you know, what, 
when I talk to, and I talk to a lot of the operators, you know, in the industry now, mm-hmm. um, and I, there's a, a common thread as we first start talking about scaling and, and bringing on people, it's compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be willing. You, hey, you want the best talent, but you don't want to pay for it. Yeah. That's not how the world works. No. Talented people want to be compensated. Yeah. Um, they know their worth. They do. Um, and you better, mm-hmm. or they're not going to come work for you. Yeah. So you got to get your compensation in a line. Um, and you have, the, you have to have a vision to share with that. Again, we're talking about A players now, mm-hmm. right? We're not talking about, can that person do the job at the least amount I can pay them, and maybe will they stay a year or two? All right. That's your typical you know, building a business mindset. It is. A lot of people get stuck in this mindset of how little can I pay this person to get the job done. Yeah. And, and you can stay mediocre for a real long time. Right. Or you get really tired doing it too. Mm-hmm. Right? Never take a vacation. Well, you don't get to take a vacation, and when things go south after hours, you, it's not them. Right. They're not rising to the challenge. You don't pay them enough you, you to rise up to the challenge. No. Um, or you got the wrong person because you just wouldn't pay enough from the onset. Yeah. So I think you really got to look in the mirror and say, do I, A, do I want this? Because there's going to be some costs. And the first one's compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about it and when, you know, Mark and I had our conversation, you know, I, I, was, I was making a fair wage mm-hmm. and I expected to continue to do so. Um, I took some risk, as did he, which was fine. But it's an investment. Right. Right. So when you invest in something, you're going to have to put a little capital into it, typically. So I think just know that when you're looking to scale your business, set some money aside or whatever it is, because without people and talented people, the rest of what you and I are going to talk about really doesn't matter. Right. So, all right. So uh, the other thing you were talking about, slow to hire, fast to fire. And again, that's something I said all the time, but are people really doing it? So you guys have a full-time recruiter now. Yes. So before you guys had a full-time recruiter, what was the process for, for, Interviewing oh, and gosh, onboarding and hiring. It was terrible. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you had me and Mark writing a JD mm-hmm. job description, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got two guys who, for argument's sake, don't really understand the role. We understand the output of the role, but we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, most of the roles in the company, aside from leadership roles, I've not played them, right? I, our maintenance guys are the best. Do I, could I go do their job? No. Yeah. But I'm going to write a job description for him, Steve. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to know how to find him. So, <laughs> right? I mean, here you go. Okay, uh, and I'm going to go to, what, uh, to whatever website I just saw on the TV. So we're doing everything wrong. So you had us writing the job description. You had us figuring out where to post it. And then we probably had the wrong person with the first conversation. What do you mean? So one of the things that I've learned um, is the importance of the first impression. Again, we're talking about hiring Talented people, not onboarding bodies. Mm-hmm. That first impression for a company to give to the type of person you want to come to that organization matters. So if you have, oh, just, you know, just have the assistant answer that it's not a big deal. Okay, well, we just said recruiting is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Or if it's so important, Mark or I need to do it, but we're so busy, we're going to half-ass it while we're in the car. Well, now we're just half-assing it. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten very good at creating a strategy. And by the way, I take uh, credit for none of this aside from hiring this person. Um, But we've gotten very good at creating a great first impression. And so when people finally get to talking to us and they they get to the meeting with me or Mark or one of our hiring managers, they're qualified. They've been through the PI. 
They have a positive impression of the company because they've talked to Susie uh, at our company, uh, now L, and we've got great people talking to them, and we now can give them a clear vision of the company. You'd want to work for us. Right. We're a great company. Yeah. Before, we didn't tell anybody we're a great company because we didn't get them on the phone. We didn't get great people to tell that story to. All right, so people is the first step. Absolutely. In scaling these multiple markets. Mm -hmm. What was the next thing you had to do begin scaling? Um, well, and I, I could step back and we'll come vision clearly, but we're not going to give Mark credit for his vision today. We'll talk about, we'll stay on the integrator stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, vision, then people. Um, you know, and starting to layer on some process. So um, again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we have to have a baseline for people to figure out where to go. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to know what we're good enough at. So if we would have chosen to scale right out of the gate, we were not good enough at rehab at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we would have lost our shirt, um, but we got good enough. So we had some processes. You guys are rehabbing in multiple markets? Yeah. Crazy. All right. Continue. Yeah, we're going to rehab in 12 markets. It'll be fun. <laughs> Um, I can't even, I can't, I would lose sleep over that. But anyway. Uh, you lose sleep. I mean, uh, we were talking earlier. I think we've got 160 assets under, um, <laughs> under construction right now. Crazy. So, yeah. um, so you know why really I don't lose sleep? I got the right people. Then they've got a good process, Steve. Yeah. And we've got good partners. True. But I still, I think I still got some scars from 2007. But, but continue. Yeah. So, got good rehab. Yep. Um, and then we got, and Mark has always been great with, you know, I guess you'd call it dispositions and traditional, you know, business investor relations. Uh, we have great relationships with our investors. We've got tr a tremendous demand on the back end. So we had that box checked. Um, and then we built out really, really good back office stuff that people don't like to talk about, like finance. Yeah. Well, maybe people don't like talking about finance. But I love this topic of finance. Not that I like getting into spreadsheets or, or the QuickBooks, but Jason Medley says this all the time, right? Like, you know, gaining money is, uh, what is it? Gaining money is a, dis is a skill. Keeping money is a discipline. Absolutely. And not enough people talk about that part because it's so easy. You're not tracking it. to just watch it go right back out or right out the back door. So what are you doing? To get good at your financials so we made a commitment you know once we decided to really get serious about the growth of the business we made a commitment to bring on a fractional cfo mm -hmm. um and again I'll, I'll lean back on my corporate experience when when i you know talked to some of the operators and um our business at the time when i came on board i'm like hey what's the budget look like budget yeah we made x last year okay let me uh, what's the forecast we're gonna make more <laughs> How much more? A lot? Okay. So, um, so that the, sounds like every conversation we have. <laughs> it, it should be, right? Um, we're going to get leverage. Where? We just are. Um, so, we get pretty serious about building out a, a budget. Mm -hmm. And if you ask my leadership team, um, I very clearly shared in our last L10 what a budget is. Mm -hmm. And it's a commitment. A budget is a commitment from the leadership team to the business. Okay. So, we are going to spend this much every single month. Um, and if we don't, we're going to make a, we're going to make a rational business decision mm -hmm. based on metrics. And we'll talk about, that's the other part of a good finance team, right? Mm -hmm. Providing the data on what's levers to pull. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to make our numbers. You know, I'm not a guy who misses my number. All right. Never have been. Don't plan to start now. Yeah. For no other, I mean, we talk about all the bad things that come with that mentality, but mm -hmm. 
we will not miss our numbers. Yeah, that's, that's our huge. Commitment. Yeah. Because I'm committed not to Mark necessarily, but today I think we're at 30 employees. Living into that budget ensures that 30 families are going to have the income that we told them when we hired them. Mm -hmm. That's pretty important. That's the level of commitment. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that's often overlooked. It's like, yeah, we want to get all these people. We want to hire, we want to scale, but there's a responsibility, right? Like for us as business owners that we ma we're making a commitment to take care of somebody, right? It's not like uh, there weren't other opportunities, other places for them to work. We made a promise to somebody that if you do good work, your job is safe. I, my first leadership role in corporate America, I'll never forget this, ever. Um, I was like four weeks in. Just moved my family from Columbia, Missouri up to Kansas City. And um, the company was not doing well. And they said, hey, congratulations, kid, because I was a kid at the time. Um, you need to lay off 11 people. I'm like, how do I do it? They're like, you tell them that they no longer work here. I didn't know these people from Adam. Yeah. And I sat in my office with HR, who was like, Haha, I'm not doing a damn thing here. I'm just making sure you don't say anything illegal. Um, and I had to lay off 11 people. And it stuck with me in the most meaningful way that if I ever had control over that, which mm -hmm. I did because I had a budget from there on out, mm -hmm. I was never going to do it again. So these are people that you had to let go, not for anything they did wrong. It was just the company was mismanaged. We were not going to make our budget number at the top. CEO down just said, you know, labor was a big expense line there. The easiest way to do it was cut expense. Yeah, which is the unfortunate way things are done at the corporation level. Right? 100%. Yeah, when you got shareholders and you got accountability and you got hit quarterly earnings and this yeah. and that, that's a crappy part, a big big corporations but we fortunately we don't have to do that no uh n nor do i ever intend to yeah um and, you know and again if you know all of your levers and you, know, you have a bad quarter or whatever uh hopefully you pull a different lever mm -hmm. um but no I, I mean we make a commitment steve every time we hire somebody um you know as we grow people will not get to know me well um those people who do know me well I mean that that's like my driver yeah um making money Fine, fun, don't get me wrong, happy to provide for my family. But being able to provide opportunity for really good people, yeah, that's exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things I didn't realize I would enjoy. So, you know, when I first opened up my brokerage many, many years ago, I did it for two reasons. A, I was tired of having a broker review all my advertising, because <laughs> legally that's what's required. And B, I was tired of paying him a percentage of my uh, commissions, right? right? Then you learn when you open up your own brokerage. Don't do that, guys, if you guys are listening. It costs more to own a brokerage than it costs to pay a split. <laughs> However, um, taking care of people, hiring people, coaching them up, watching them grow, yeah. live a better life, be better off financially, is so incredibly rewarding. I had no idea, right? Because I opened up my brokerage out of greed. Right. And it's, it's been way better after having people work with us. Dude, it's, you know, there's just... It gets me excited, right? Mm -hmm. There's very few things anymore. You've got basketball. Um, I play a little golf. Very few things I get to be competitive about. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I'm not competitive about that, but it means so much to get to help, help drive value for people. I've got a few things to say that may have some value. And if I can share with somebody and they get something out of it and it impacts their family, um, you know, there's some people on our team that 
like um i know i can impact the future for them and their children yeah um if sbd delivers on its promise its commitment to them right and that's your responsibility 100 percent. and i wouldn't i wouldn't change it yep uh one thing you mentioned right now is forecasting mm -hmm. you want to explain what forecasting means um yeah it's an interesting topic right now so when i get home um uh, tomorrow morning the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to sit down with our cfo and we're going to build out the budget for next year mm -hmm. so you know it's what's the prediction for the future right so the budget and the forecasting if we don't have an in target you know, if you aim at nothing you're guaranteed to hit it mm -hmm. right i right. know that um so we got to set you know, got to set a guideline for that but then we need to figure out okay high level we can call a top line and you know rev and expense line and hey how here's what we think drop down is going to be and that's all fine and good but in which markets is it going to be turnkeys is it going to be flips what's the revenue projection for each of those and we will build out a methodical projection for each market and when we're off because now we've written it down huh? we'll make pivots but yeah, yeah if we don't if we don't start forecasting the business um and we can talk about the importance of cash in a business like ours right um, how's Mark supposed to know which, how much capital to go raise if I don't tell him, hey, we're going to buy 400 houses next year, Mark. We're going to get through, we'll get rehab up to about 270 um, of those, and we're going to open up another office and this and this and this. Is he just going to shake a tree and find another 4 million bucks? You can do that when you're doing a couple of deals. You cannot do that when you're doing a couple hundred deals. We found you could, pro you could do that up to 100 deals. Yeah. So... When you're forecasting, then you're forecasting for the year. You're projecting for the year. Yes. Got it. I'm only asking this because for us, as our, as our organization, we forecast about 30 days ahead. And all we're forecasting is not this kind of like how much money we're going to need. All our forecasting is what are our bank balances going to look like in 30 days? Because for me, I know, you know, reading profit first, mm -hmm. um, scaling up. Yep. And then that was... And then Keith Cunningham's the, the ultimate blueprint, the ultimate blueprint for insanely successful business. And the things that I learned from those books is financials. And again, it's nerdy. It's not fun, but it's so important. Um, for me, it was a long, it took nine or 10 years to actually be able to look at a balance sheet and a PL. It took 10 years, way too long. Right. But then we got to a point where not only could we look at our balance sheets and PLs, but now we can project what the bank balance is going to be in 30 days. Right, because we know what our expenses are going to be for the next thirty right. days. We know what our revenue is going to be in the next thirty days, and right. we know what our cost of sales as well, based off that revenue. Yeah, and now we know exactly what our bank balance is going to look in thirty days. Man, the confidence in the decisions you can make when you project what you're going to have in thirty days versus I don't know where my money's going. Dude, well, let me say this: if if you don't nerd out over that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you should not scale. If we're talking about scaling up and you don't get excited to know your numbers, yeah, or at least have somebody on your team that does it, but as an owner, right, you better, yeah, right. You you got you got all these mouths to feed. If you don't get excited about that, I would argue you shouldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's I mean, a good point. you know, I know that sounds really direct, and it's not at you, Steve. I'm just saying in general, man, that's where the that's where this whole thing is mm -hmm. is in those numbers. There's a yeah. lot of activity. But they right. generate an outcome. Yeah. If you're not tracking or predicting it, again, we, I can tell you the, the stories of what we've gone through over the last, gosh, you know, 18 months since we put our foot 
pretty hard down and you know mark will say we've been hovering over the accelerator pedal and now we're hitting it mm -hmm. um he and i must have been in separate cars because <laughs> uh, i felt like we've had it down for a while now for him it felt like they were he was it wasn't going fast enough well yeah <laughs> for you and, I, and I wasn't driving right and all that but and if backseat, i could hurry up yeah he's a backseat driver yeah um <laughs> it's fine that's what integrators deal with um but no, man, you know, you have to be able to project these things. And, and if it's a cash intensive business or marketing intensive or whatever it is, um, if you don't know your numbers, I, I don't know how you're going to get where you want to go. And you don't even know where you want to go, would yeah. be my argument. And that's when people wake up uh, on the other side. You know, one of the things that Mark and I talk about, businesses that are scaling don't often go out of business. They grow out of business. Mm -hmm. And that's a strict relationship. And the third thing we should talk about, which is cash. Yeah. You know, you say you love scaling up. Um, um, that's one of the four components of that book, cash. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I used to hate having cash in my accounts. Now I'm really happy. Because you wanted to leverage it? <laughs> well, no, because when the recession occurred, not recession, when COVID struck, I did not lose sleep. Like, yeah. Right? Like, we've been prepared for this. You know, we have... Cash reserves. Cash reserves. Probably first. Profit first, right? But prior to those financial books, right? Money comes in, where can I invest it? Where can I drop it, right? This idea of grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. As money comes in, we got to invest it somewhere else or we got to spend it in one way or another. And the financial maturity that comes from reading those books really shifted the mindset and really, again, get, I didn't lose any sleep when COVID struck. Not many business owners can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to fall in love with the numbers. You you gotta you gotta read those books. I mean, you nailed it. Scaling Up's a fantastic uh, book. I mean, it literally, um, if you walk into Myra Mark's office, I guarantee it's sitting within two feet of our computer. Yeah, um, because it's so critical. And we got to meet one of the authors, right? Um, Howard Leaky Bucket guy. What was his last uh, name? Howard Shore. Howard Shore. Yeah. And we got to meet one of the authors. Um, yeah, I mean, fantastic book, the Gazelle Group. Um, yeah, I mean, we we literally. We are living that book. I had, so, you know, again, we're talking about all these great things that we're doing well now. Uh, the only reason we're doing them well is because we did them poorly um, <laughs> for a while, felt the pain and decided the pain sucked. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd read Scaling Up. Um, Mark's read it. But as we are scaling, now we're feeling some of those things. And mm -hmm. of course, now we're, you know, we're responding quickly and fixing it. But yeah. So you said the next thing after that was metrics. Mm-hmm. So what's the next, so the next part of, of scaling? You know, so measuring, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, measuring metrics. Um, so I've, we've got the right people. Yeah. We got our process. Mm -hmm. It's great. Is our process any good? I don't know. Well, why not? Because we're not measuring it. Yeah. So then we've got to measure it. And it's been an interesting conversation. This is one of the things that, you know, we've not done great. Like a lot of it scaling again, I'm not apologizing in any way. We have chosen to run hard and grow to a certain point. Uh, as I told you over lunch, we're going to, we're going to get damn good at this stuff, um, in 2022, but you know, we're really layering in those metrics to say, is that process working? Is it not working? Um, and the only way we can do that is if we're measuring it KPIs, right? Yeah. Uh, I was trying to explain it to somebody the other day and it's a really hard concept. I mean, we can, we can all read traction and, and all these things, but like, how do you simplify it? And I was like, okay, if, if I'm 200 pounds today, that's a metric. That's just is, it's me at a point in time. Mm -hmm. 
well, let's say I want to get to 190 pounds. Okay, now I've got a goal. A metric and I got a goal. Um, but what, how am I going to get there? By wishing? Um, put on your vision board. Put on my vision board. Exactly. <laughs> Magically will happen. Uh, I'll read a book about it, I'll put it on my vision board, and I'll live into it. Um, so no, and then I got to measure. Okay, how, well, then I got to create a plan. How am I going to get there? All right, I'm going to do 50 push-ups a day. I'm going to run two miles. I'm going to eat 1,500 calories, whatever that is. Um, but then we set out those three criteria, mm -hmm. and we start measuring. And I go to Mark, and he's like, how are we doing? I'm like, dude, I'm 202. How many push-ups do you do? None. Do you run? Eh. What'd you eat? Dude, I had some great cheeseburgers the other day. Fantastic. You should have them. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we have to start measuring everything and we're getting pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. um, we did, well, I'll get, I mean, we're A plus on that, on the financials and some of the business metrics. Yeah. And I know I don't give A's, but like the confidence that you had during COVID is the confidence I have when I look at our numbers and I can tell you how long it takes me to rehab an asset, how much cash I have in it. I mean, inside and out, I've got eight pages of metrics that would blow your mind about how operationally strong we are. Yeah. We just got to get better at the department level now. Right. And that's a lot of people putting in data and you got to monitor that. And that's, that's one of the hardest challenges I know for us, right? Because we try to get, pull as much as we can yeah. out of our CRMs, you know, whether it's uh, we were, when you were using call tools, when you were using Podio, when we, were, when, when we are using Salesforce. I'm trying to pull as much of that data out as possible to automate it, but man, it still requires human capital. Put all that stuff together. Human capital or in massive investments into technology. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things, it's funny. I used to get a management dashboard every day at LabCorp uh, when I worked there. And literally I could read that uh, and I knew how my day was gonna be. Because mm -hmm. um, I knew, I knew last night's business was crystal clear. Did XYZ happen? Um, we don't have that today. But we've made a big investment um, into LeftMain being one of the key platforms that we use. Um, mm -hmm. But then we hired on our own Salesforce admin. Oh, you did? Yeah. Have to. Yeah. How can we scale the business responsibly if we don't know what the heck that thing's doing? Mm -hmm. Stephanie's going to give us a great report, but that report may be more reflective of your business potentially than mine. Mm -hmm. So now we've hired that person. Yeah. Ryan and my team is just keep pushing me over. I was like, I don't know. So that's awesome. All right. I mean, more power to you. Yeah. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine uh, in this market, just the TV guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he does it all himself. And he's the best, right? And you know who mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Yeah. Darren. Darren's the best. Amazing. Um, but I challenged him at C the last CG. He said, dude, just because you're great at it, what are you not doing as a COO or CEO for your other business? Mm -hmm. You got to get somebody on your team who can do that for you. Yeah. So I don't know. He's living a pretty good life, too. He's pretty happy. 80 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, he's the best. I love that guy. Um, so yeah, so systems, you know, to get us there, I agree with you. If it's, you know, that's why I told my team, say, guys, all right, we're going to use this quarter to get our KPIs and measurables aligned. Um, and I don't want any that aren't automated. If yeah. I've got to pay one of my smart, talented people um, to go like this and input it, don't do it. Find another solution. Or um, let's find a VA who can do that. Oh, that's, and that's exactly what a whole lot of VAs. Yeah. So right now you guys are doing 250 plus deals or on pace. Yeah, we'll, plus we'll buy around 240 assets this year. And one thing is you didn't wear the shirt. We talked about it. Yeah. What's I've the shirt? I've got it, man. I've got it. Um, I'm not wearing it today. I've got the shirt that says truly iHeart Wholesalers. You can see it uh, uh, on our sbdwholesale.com website. Yeah. Uh, so talk about that. 
Yeah. So when the business, you know, when the auction was no longer viable for us to continue to, for Mark to operate the business, frankly, much less grow it, um, we had to look at different acquisition streams. You know better than I do, truly, uh, how difficult Seller Direct is. Um, and we chose to look at some other channels first, and we got very committed to buying from wholesalers. Uh, and we built darn near a business around it. And so of the assets that we'll buy this year, probably 70% will come from wholesalers. Incredible number. Incredible percentage. Yeah. We're yeah. in one market right now where all we do is buy from wholesalers. Yeah. Crazy. So... Yeah, so you, how do you set yourself apart? Because you're not the only game in town. No. Um, my argument would be, uh, it'd be interesting, I've, you know, I've talked to a handful of my wholesale partners. Um, first off, we're professional. Mm -hmm. We run a very professional organization. So if it comes out of one of my team's mouth, um, it's going to be factual. Um, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and if it's wrong, I'll probably live into it, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to honor our commitment. That's a big thing that I think a lot of other buyers may not do. Right. Um, do you ever have a buyer back out in the last minute? Yeah, they get blacklisted. Yeah. They will never get another deal from us. Right. Yeah. But we're not going to be that guy. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we're committed to being professional. Um, we're exceptionally well-funded, um, which matters, right? We can right. close. We say we're going to close. Um, I can do volume with you. That's mm -hmm. my goal. Um, I want to buy everything. Literally, if you're a wholesaler in Kansas City and a deal pencils, I'll buy every single one you have right. um, as quickly as I can. Um, so we can buy in volume. Um, we can take down assets that many people can't. You know, our average turnkey rental products um, uh, rehab is $47,000. Some of that's because we do a Cadillac. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of money, right? For a $150,000 no. home. Oh, for, okay, so it was 47000 put into it. Got yeah, it. We're, yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying you were selling for 147. Like, wow. No, no, we're selling for 147 and put 47 in it. Okay. Um, but So we can take on more challenges mm -hmm. than others. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying bring me your junk, mm -hmm. um, but we can do those things if it passes. But you have the ability. We have the ability. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And, and we're persistent. You know, my team should be calling you every mm -hmm. week. You should be getting an email reminding you that we're the biggest buyer in the market. Um, and ideally, we're going to look for some partnership opportunities. I'm an open book. I'm transparent. You ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. Yeah. So I think where we are versus a lot of other wholesalers, and you and I talked about this, um, I think we're pretty good at knowing the market mm -hmm. and the market conditions. And I, I can share some insight to a wholesaler, uh, maybe some insight that could help them drive down their acquisition price. Right. Yeah. And I think those are all great points. Uh, the other thing is you guys are managing 600 doors. Yeah. So um, I have said, if it's real estate, I will do it, right? I mean, I'm a serial entrepreneur, shiny object syndrome, left and right. Yeah. Got multiple businesses. But the one thing I always said, I will never touch property management. And then Frank Cava basically like just kind of convinced me otherwise. Okay. I'm still on the fence, yeah. but you guys manage 600 doors. Yeah. How much fun is that? Um, it's really, really, really fun to offer a fantastic full turnkey product to our investor base. <laughs> <laughs> so if we didn't manage it and I had to trust somebody else to do it, um, I wouldn't be as proud of what we offered to our investors. Got it. Right? It gives you the confidence to say this is a good um, product. So, you know, the company manages my assets for me. Mm -hmm. I've been to none of them. 
Um, I don't know. My team knows way more about, they know my addresses, I don't. Mm -hmm. And that's what we sell, right? Yeah. So, um, no, it's, it's necessary for us, 100%. Um, it's been a struggle, man. Uh, it's been an absolute struggle to get that to operate. Uh, it looks fine from the outside, mm -hmm. uh, but it's very difficult inside. And so we've, had, we've been retooling and rebuilding that. Um, maybe when I see you again soon, I'll tell you how excited I am about PM. Mm -hmm. But uh, grow your hair back. Next, you'll grow your hair back. It'll be time. awesome. Yeah, and it'll be, uh, it won't be white either. Um, so no, I, it's a challenge, dude. Yeah. There's no, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Um, but what I can tell you is we brought on a new leader recently, um, and she is getting her hands filthy, dirty mm -hmm. in the guts of PM. And that's where the magic is. It is not a business where you can necessarily process it out and market around it. You have to have somebody who's willing to live and breathe property management. Got it. Uh, and I've got a team of people that do. And so, yeah, we'll be, we'll be pretty damn good at it again soon. Like, like I'll know we're good at it versus yeah. our owners are getting paid and our maintenance is, you know, happening and those things. I'll know that we're doing it efficiently. Got it. You know, one thing we didn't talk about earlier um, on, on the scaling component, because maybe because we talked about earlier uh, over lunch was that a lot of people say they want to scale, but they don't really know the challenge they're going to go, they're going to step into, right? Like for a, a lot of wholesalers have never done a deal. It's like, man, if I could just do the deal, that'd be great, right? Like that's kind of where they're at. Right. But then you come to a point where marketing is actually the easy part, right? Then it's getting that contract signed consistently. Right. But then you get good at that. This last frontier, people, we can get good at it, but people are naturally crazy. That's just who we are. We're just animals with bigger brains. <laughs> That's all we are. So can you talk a little bit about your experience as far as like, I don't know, maybe people are potentially underestimating the challenge in managing people? So, I mean, yeah, look at me. I'm already, I'm already tired before I've even answered the question. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, we'll get it two ways. Um, you know, we're in a U.S. shop and, and so clearly Mark the, is the, you know, visionary mm -hmm. CEO. And it's great when you have an exceptional visionary. Mm -hmm. So he can really shine a light on where we want to go. That helps the people part. Okay. People believe in Mark and his vision. All right. People come knowing they're going to be part of something great. Yeah. Because we have an impeccable leader at the top. Okay. So that's a big part of it. Clear vision with great trustworthy leadership. Got it. Um, I think that's the next thing. And then... As far as the rest of people, they're crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but we're in a position now where we're choosing our people a little yeah. differently. They're a lot more selective. Absolutely. It reduces the, the, the variations of craziness. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, life still happens. Yeah. It happens to all of us. Absolutely. Right? Um, one, of our, one of our favorite employees, well, everybody's a favorite, but, you know, one of our new team members had something going on in their personal life yesterday and had to go. Mm -hmm. And they're a critical member of our team. Right. Life still happens. Absolutely. Um, but with that said, we had some good people around her mm -hmm. to pick up the bag. We had some decent process. Somebody else can do it. Yeah. Um, no, the people part's hard, Steve. And, I, and I'd, you know, I'd love to say like it, uh, I'd love to say something negative. Mm -hmm. Dude, I'm an introvert. Most people wouldn't know that. Like I, I actually get my energy um, when I'm home mm -hmm. and alone and that stuff. But I dig people 
Yeah. Like when I'm at work, like I'm all in on these people and this outcome. So for me, while well, they're crazy, mm-hmm. um, there's some some back of the office that are crazier than others. They know who they are. Um, <laughs> they might be listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to love the people thing. Yeah. Because if you're not more committed to them or equally committed to them as they are to you, mm-hmm. it's a fail from the onset. Yeah. So if you don't love your people, it's going to be a major challenge. Oh, dude. Yeah. You have to love your team. I mean, yeah. you know, we can, we, we make all these sports analogies, but for a reason, like if you don't, if you don't work for a great organization, so we can go Kansas City Chiefs here, mm-hmm. um, with great leadership and ownership, the Hunt family, Mark Delator, we've got great ownership, leadership at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got, you know, arguably decent coaching uh, with me. Um, who cares about what that organization looks inside the locker room too mm-hmm. to produce a great outcome for our fan base, our investors? Um, I don't know. I think you just have to really give a damn. Yeah. If you don't give a damn, don't stop leading people. Right. Oh, I think that's a great point. And I think, again, it goes back to you're selective and weeding out people that can be cancerous, that can be causing problems. And what do you do with cancer, Steve? Excise it. You cut it out. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to do. Um, you know, we, we, we've had some, some folks that have left the organization that's been really because they're great people. Mm-hmm. But literally days later, your office is a new place. So it's a, the air is a little fresher. Everyone's breathing a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you can't scale with stale air. No, you cannot. You cannot. Uh, one thing that um, you, you got a chance to speak on, or was it Mark that got to speak on on stage, was that you guys have a very unique visionary integrator situation mm-hmm. in that you have final authority. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, again, you know, we talked earlier about, um, you know, how to, be, how to get it aligned and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I said you got to have per- compensation is a big part of it. Um, but for the right person, it's also trust, right? Mark and I have this personal trust developed over years, right? But when he came to me, um, and I think it's in the book, Rocket Fuel, by the way. So I don't know if it was original thought or not. We'll give it to him since I can't be certain. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came to me and said, hey, listen, for, for this thing to truly work, I want you to know how much I trust you. That if we have a vehement disagreement, we just can't come to terms. And it's about the operations of the business. You get the final say. Dude, how could I say no to that? Yeah. He knows that 100% of me is committed to what's best for him and his family. He just mm-hmm. knows that. That's who I am. That's a relationship we have. That's what I did for any, anyone. But for him to say, I trust you so much. I believe that so much in you. And I believe that you're probably better at the role I'm hiring you than I am myself. Mm-hmm. For him to say that, dude, what else could you ask for as an employee? Right. Yeah. It's obviously very empowering. Gives you the full faith. And you want to rise up to that challenge. Yeah. Has it come a time where you had to exercise that? No, I'm sure he's going to like pick out some terrible shirts one of these days <laughs> uh, and I'm going to do him a favor. Um, but no, no, man, uh, it's not, it'll happen. Yeah. It always does. All right. Well, uh-huh. it's, it's bound to happen. I, I mean, it should, right? Yeah. Otherwise we're probably not pushing hard enough. Absolutely. Uh, so you had made the comment earlier that you're not a big fan of Dave Ramsey or you were a big fan. It was past tense. So you want to dive deeper into that? All right. So, I mean, Dave Ramsey certainly fills a, a big um, role in this country, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if you, are you Dave fan? Have you studied Dave? Are you familiar with him? Yeah, I, w- I went through, there was a time where I was really terrible with money. Yeah. You know, uh, and it was. Uh, FPU? 
uh, yeah, there's Financial Peace University, and then there was uh, Entre Leadership, yep. and then there was another one about the financial makeover. I think that's what it is. Yep. So, you know, I, my wife and I have used the envelope system, hmm? right? I mean, I, I literally used to make $80 a week. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. My wife paid me $80 a week. No matter what my what my W two said, Chris made eighty dollars a week. So I've been there, done that. Yeah. Um, another thing most folks don't know about me is I left corporate America for a short time to start a business on personal financial education oh. to serve the underserved. Got it. it was very passionate to me. I made a lot of poor decisions financially when I was younger, mm-hmm. and my father in law, um, kindest man in the world, politely handed me a book, essentially money for dummies. Didn't say anything, just said, ah, oh, I saw this the other day. I thought you might be interested. So Thought of you. Thought of you because you can't buy a mattress with your credit card. Yeah. So you had me buy it. Uh, so anyway, I get pretty passionate about that. So I've studied the snot out of Dave and, and understand all of his core principles. But there is a point in time um, that I disagree with him. Mm-hmm. And paying off my house is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a time. Um, or buying a house, a rental property for all cash and not leveraging. Like... The math doesn't always line up with Dave. Yeah. He is really great for people who probably need some more emotional support mm-hmm. and a little bit of math help. But if you're a math purist, Dave's not there. Yeah. My wife and I have disagreements frequently. Oh, um, so she's still a strong believer. Dude, for her, money's emotional. Mm-hmm. I get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. I respect the snout of it. It makes sense. Um, for me, it is IJM. It's a saying in the office. It's just math. Mm hmm. It's just math. Yeah. This interest rate is this. This opportunity is this. Honey, I know you want to pay this off, but if I if you give me that money here, I can go lend some money over here. I can do this. I can do that. Right. Um. She's like, but then we don't have this stockpile. I'm like, stockpile is making zero percent right now, babe. Yeah. That yeah. It's interesting. Feel good. Because we have that same exact conversation in our household, right? Like my wife will feel better when there's this much money in the bank account, and I look at it like we have that much money in the bank account. I'm doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. I got to go leverage it. I got to do well, something. We got to go invest it. We got to do something with it, right? So yeah. it's, it's interesting how that all works. Um, all right. So we have uh, Gorillas on YouTube. Uh, what KPIs is your company measuring? What, what would you say are two or three most critical KPIs? So for high company? level for us is um, a, a term that we call CTU cash tied up. Mm-hmm. So we talked about in scaling up cash is one of the four you know, major components of that book. And I know that may not resonate with everybody in your audience, but you said you, you know, you're a finance nerd, right? Yep. Um, so for us to scale and grow um, and buy 300 assets next year, let's pretend we have you know, a finite amount of money because mm-hmm. we do. Um, how much money is tied up in each of those assets? It's a big calculation. So for mm-hmm. my forecasting that I'm going to start doing, and I say, hey, Mark, I think we're going to go in Northwest Arkansas, 2022, we should buy 100 assets. It takes six months to rehab them, blah, 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 blah. This is how much capital I need. Mm-hmm. So CTU is one of the big ones for us. Got it. Um, from a management level. And then, I mean, you can give all the acquisition ones way better than I can. Yeah. Um, you're a pro there. Another one, and it's not necessarily a metric, but it's a mindset um, that we look at on how, how we sell our assets. It's really highest and best use. So we'll look at an asset pre-acquisition and then right after acquisition and then post-rehab and look at what our best exit strategy is um, versus you know, a, lot, a lot of less sophisticated operators say, we bought it as a flip. 
Therefore, it's a flip. Mm-hmm. We bought it as a flip. It penciled as a flip. Maybe it's a better turnkey yeah. today. Then we stick it in the machine. Well, maybe it's a better turnkey sold to uh, an institutional buyer. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing we look at. I know that's not a KPI, but you know, for me right now, everything is finance metrics. Uh, my, my director level team mm-hmm. is going to be able to tell you impressions if it's marketing and if it's, you know, um, acquisitions, it's contracts or appointment conversion rate or all those things. So you're raising capital mm-hmm. and then you're using that when you're talking about cash tied up, you know, for example, 47K in a rehab for turnkey. Yeah. That's coming from 47,000 that was borrowed earlier from a different lender, from, from a private lender. Is that accurate? No, so at this stage, um, Mark is a genius at utilizing traditional financing. Mm-hmm. So um, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of bank lines of, I don't know, $20 million mm-hmm. for operating. Uh, and buying assets. So, you know, so we'll go ahead and we'll buy that thing. We'll put a construction loan on it. We'll see it through the process. Um, but as we have scaled, we have looked at different opportunities. So some of that might be using an anchor loans, mm-hmm. uh, which we traditionally haven't had to do. But as you scale, you need to look at other resources. Absolutely. So it went from cost of capital, which is a metric we used to think was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, it matters. But access to capital is way more important now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, that's the bottleneck oftentimes. That it's, was the bottleneck, yeah. cash. Well, yeah, so cash, and now it's the access to capital. Exactly. Yeah, so if you can't... So yeah, doesn't matter have so much cash, and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just can't scale. Yeah, all right. Um, and then Shock Riddles on Facebook, how do you find re- reliable contractors for states that you don't live in? Which I think is a fantastic question. <laughs> That is a great question. Um, it's like the most, it's one I get asked all the time. Yeah. So COVID did us a really big favor. Um, it did us a lot of favors. It allowed us to realize we could scale our business. We could do things in, in other markets. Because there I am sitting in Kansas City in my house and we're rehabbing. We're buying assets, we're rehabbing and we're property managing with mm-hmm. no office. So why does it matter if I'm in Kansas City or Montgomery, Alabama, Northwest Arkansas, Wichita, Kansas, wherever, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had really great partners. Right. So we were able to leverage um, and form relationships with some of the larger national retailers, uh, retail rehabbers, mm-hmm. guys who were working for the Zillows of the world, that when COVID happened said, yeah. no more rehab. And those guys were looking for somebody to work with. Mm-hmm. So we got a blessing there. Um, and we were with a company based out of here. Uh, called Tricor, and they have been a fantastic business partner for us. And they have, we have proven concept with them. We've mm-hmm. proven to be a really good customer. Um, we don't do the Zillow twelve thousand dollar rehab. We do the forty seven thousand dollar rehab. So um, they like us for that. Mm-hmm. We pay timely. We treat them fairly, which is an amazing thing. Right. Uh, as we have worked with them and others, um, one of the things payment terms is one thing, right? And revenue per deal is one thing. But what, what I keep hearing from our large-scale contractors is that we treat them well. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Just treating these guys well. When a time when we didn't have to, they had no other choice but really work with us. And we treated them with dignity and respect through this whole thing. They want to grow with us. Well, I mean, especially after they got cut yeah. by all these Wall Street companies. Yeah. Like, the moment things got hard, they got cut. They're going to remember that you were there right when they got cut and you're nice. Yeah. 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 And, and they've seen, you know, and, and it's not lost to me that we have, 
Um, the reason our banking relationships have flourished, um, the reason our construction, we have honored our commitments. We met up, we make, we make our numbers. We make our financial numbers. Yeah. So we get committed and we tell somebody we're going here and we're going to do well here. They're going to come with us. Absolutely. Um, Michelle on Facebook wants to know, she just closed on three turnkeys. How does she get in contract with your team? Um, best way to reach out to our team, sales at sbdhousing.com. Perfect. And then Matt Love was asking the same question. How can they do t- deals with your team? So same thing. Uh, Jeremy wants to know on YouTube, how do you find your hires? Well, I, mean, we get, I get the part that you have a recruiter, but what does she do? Yeah. <laughs> um, they just magically show up in my conference room after they've been screened, Steve. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we use a, a source called Wise Hire, which mm-hmm. data integrates a lot of the other sources. Uh, and you and I were talking about this. So that's, but that's just one part of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's the job description that's probably more important. Um, and then the ability to respond quickly. But it's not, it's not sexy. It's Wise Hire. Yeah. And then how much active recruiting? Um, you know, because something that we talked about is for better or for worse, the people that are on Indeed and so on, that are looking for jobs, are the ones that did not make it at their previous situation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, often, if they're, they're either available for hire today or they're pretty darn close to quitting wherever they're at right. and they're unhappy, right? And so the best people, though, are often already taken. So how, is there anything your recruiter is doing to find quality people besides the traditional postings? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we listen to and read the same kind of content, right? Mm-hmm. And the best way is to go pilfer somebody who's not looking. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Um, we're still a business of 30 people. Yeah. Um, and we will use referrals and those things. No, we're, we have yet to get to that point. Um, I can tell you for a couple of key hires, um, the, the team will be getting ready to do that soon. Yeah. Um, but it's been unnecessary. I think the job market, it's an interesting job market, right? Uh, I mean, very interesting. Like, <laughs> it's the most interesting you know, thing ever. <laughs> you and I could talk about that. could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, but what I can tell you, aside from you know, some of the perspective negative, is um, people are looking to be happy. Mm-hmm. And people are looking are. to leave jobs. They are. So if you're out there and you can speak to them and you can provide them a good um, impression of your business, I think you can do well. That's a great point. Because there are a lot of people quitting than ever before. It's amazing. I, I mean, if you would meet in the talent that is in our organization um, that we've brought on in the last two years, it's, it's pretty scary. It's mm-hmm. not like just this little mom and pop business in Blue Springs, Missouri. We've got some very talented people in our organization yeah. from the maintenance team all the way up. Um, and they've come to us because they were unhappy. But we were there. You know, I guess what I would say too, Steve, is um, hiring is like a pain in the ass, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody likes doing it. Therefore, they suck at it. Get good at it. Get excited about it. Invest time and energy. Boy, you'll be good at it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things, just like so many other things in our business that we don't want to do. But if you want to win and you want to scale the right way, you have to learn it or hire someone else who's good at it. Uh, What is your why? You know, it's interesting. Like I've been, I knew you were going to ask me that, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been pondering it and uh, for like literally weeks now. Um, I'll give you my business one first. I 
had this opportunity and made a commitment to Mark and Sarah Beth that I would come on and help them grow their business into something that they would be continually proud of. Mm -hmm. And it was going to allow me to get out of corporate um, and put my stamp on something. That's a, and do it and select the people that I want to do it with for years to come. I was having uh, breakfast with Dustin Monger today, and, mm -hmm. and he and I were actually talking about this. Um, my wives, I want, to, I want to impact people's lives. There's people in our business that I want to see their, their daughter go to college. I know the SBD can do that. Mm -hmm. From a business standpoint, that's it. It's not about money. It's not about a thousand houses. It's not about $30 million going into a fund and all these other things that we're going to do. That's fine. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's people. And for a guy who doesn't want to talk to people, it's all about the people. Yeah. Personally, um, dude, I'm so fortunate. I married way out of my league to the most positive person in the world. Um, and she's blessed me with two amazing daughters. Um, that is my ultimate why, is to help those two girls achieve whatever it is that they want and do it by being and be a good person and mm -hmm. drive value to society because yeah. in the end i can have a portfolio of assets but if i don't have a wife who lived a great life that was connected to me and i don't have two daughters who grow up to be happy at whatever it is they choose mm -hmm. what the hell's the point in yeah. the end right right yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's something that we have in, uh, have in my vision is the um, having girls that are contributing members of society, yeah. but are not just happy, but um, having, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're happy with themselves, or, you know, they're happy within their own bodies. It's not just the... Uh, so hard, dude. Just wait. I know, I know, right? But just having... Uh, having daughters, having kids that are, are will grow to be responsible human beings, that are are well balanced and and so on. That's that's the vision. It's we'll vision, see what happens. But it's going to happen. You know, it's funny. This came up um, at church on Sunday. Uh, we're going through this thing on parenting and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, um, the pastor was talking about it's okay if your kids hate you. When your kids hate you periodically, of course, mm -hmm. at a young age, then you're doing the right thing. Yeah. My daughters absolutely know that they're loved because I don't take mediocre on the way they treat people or mm -hmm. how they treat themselves or the way they attack problems. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. The, I remember my daughter was asking me for something. I said, no, we're not, doing, we're not doing that. And she says, her retort to me, and she's quick. Her retort to me was, isn't it the parents' job to make their kids happy? And I kind of looked at her like, no. no. <laughs> No, what I'm are you not your talking friend. about, right? Like, I don't know where you got that idea yeah. from, but no, no. absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you stay motivated? You know, I, um, born. I mean, there's no good mm -hmm. answer. Um, I hate mediocrity. Like, it drives me crazy. I'd rather mm -hmm. suck at it than be mediocre. And if I suck at it, I probably won't do it. Um, I think I'm competitive, you know, um, Mark and I were talking about this. I, I'm uber competitive. I've never had any, never had a need to be motivated. I, I just wake up ready to go. I, I'm mm -hmm. fortunate in that way. I, I wish I'd give you a great answer. Yeah. Well, you know, we were uh, going through this training yesterday as a group in our office. And uh, one of the things they talk about is the difference between um, people that are successful in their careers uh, versus those that are not. 
is that when adversity strikes, how can I win next time? How can I be better? Mm-hmm. Whereas those that are mediocre or below average is that that's just the way life is. And that's it. That's their answer. Dude, problems are great because yeah. you learn from them. Right. Well, I think that's the mindset. Yeah. Right. I think the people, that's the mindset is definitely consistent amongst our circles, people that we know. But oh, not gosh, as, people you and I know, they do not take failure as an option. God, they don't even talk about it. Yeah. It was interesting. I actually had someone, you know, they asked, uh, we had a meetup. They're like, why don't you guys talk about your failures? And for me, it's like, because I already moved past them. Like, yeah. I've learned from them. I learned from They've them. They've gone on. And then they were deleted, right? Kept the lessons, deleted the loss. Well, that's also the visionary, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so then what is your biggest struggle today? Um, it's, it's the balance, right? It's the commitment to all these things. So I give it my all when I'm at SPD. I do. I just, I don't work, but I'm there an awful lot mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm expending a tremendous amount of energy. So it's the transition from giving it all to walking in the door to these three ladies at my house mm-hmm. and giving it all to them. And that has been, that is my biggest struggle. Um, have I figured it out yet? No. Um, I'm not, I mean, it's hard. What have you tried to do? Um, <laughs> I listen to my wife-ish. Um, I try to be present. Uh, I, I'm getting better. I will leave my, I leave my problems mm-hmm. at the office and I will not talk about work at home, mm-hmm. but I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I know. I get you that know? too. Like, I'm not going to talk about work. I don't even talk about work. Uh, with my wife anymore. Um, but man, I, I, you, you just see me looking at something and you know I'm thinking about, gosh, if we could just get this done faster, this done mm-hmm. different. So I don't, know, I don't know the answer, Steve. I really yeah. don't. It'd be interesting. Uh, if you got the answer, I, I am here to consume it. Uh, I don't know if I have the answer. I just know that um, it's easier when I put my phone away. Like not like in my pocket, but like put it somewhere else. So like when I get home, you know, charge my phones over there. And it's easier. I don't know. Just having the phone be further away. When we lived here in Arizona, I would I had them install a um, outlet in our closet, mm-hmm. in our pantry. I come home and plug it in right there. Yeah. And our house in Kansas City, I don't. Yeah. Maybe I will have them do that. Yeah. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Right. And now I'm not even thinking about it. Um, some people get annoyed, but that's <laughs> what I have to do. Yeah. Uh, what is your superpower? Uh, you know, you can call it accountability. Like I'm such a believer in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I kind of asked a couple people, uh, and it, but it came back to it. Mark's like, it's your tenaciousness, your competitiveness. I'm like, eh. Um, and then I asked one of the other people on the team, I said, what do you think? And, and her answer was, you never let like anything but really, really good go. If I bring you a issue and I say, Hey, I think this is how we solve it. You push me because you know that I probably haven't dug deep enough. Mm-hmm. I'm holding her in this instance accountable for the best outcome, maybe the best version of herself. Mm-hmm. I hold myself to relatively good level of accountability. My wife holds me to a high level of accountability and I appreciate it. Yeah. So I just think it's, you know, if you boil it all down, there's two words that really, really resonate with me authenticity. Um, I want to be authentic. 
I don't want anybody to have misgivings on me acting like somebody else. And I don't want to be with people who aren't authentic, right? Yeah. So I think it's a commitment to being authentic and holding others and being willing to be held accountable is ends up with this. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's great. And it's, it's not a superpower a lot of people have. And I think it's, it's super critical, right? It's the reason why you guys are able to be as um, creating the output that you guys have been able to create. Um, is there a lesson, greatest lesson you have learned? You know, I've talked about it, man. Um, whatever it is, it's about people. Mm -hmm. We can process, we can raise money, we can do all these things. The lesson I've learned through my career, and most of it is through, actually the, the biggest lessons I learned are from the people that, te that do the wrong things. I can name more stories about bad managers and bad leaders and bad friends and all of those things. Um, but in the end, it's just about, the lesson is simple, just treat people well and be honest with them. Yeah. And just live into it, man. I, I don't know any, I mean, I got nothing grand here. It's such a simple lesson, but easy to overlook. Hard to do. Hard to do and easy to overlook. Uh, is there a failure, favorite, best, or most interesting failure that you've experienced? Oh, goodness. Um, how funny is that? No. No? I mean, I made a thousand of them. Right. But I've already moved on from them, like you said. <laughs> um, I mean, I would love to give you some. Have we bought a house we shouldn't have bought? Yeah, we do that. Uh, have I made some mistakes on rehab? A hundred percent. No, man. I, you know, I, I could look at some things in my personal life that I probably could have chosen to do different or better. Um, but I'm a pretty un unapologetic person because right. uh, there's nothing I would change because I'm happy to be who I am today. Right. We wouldn't be who we are today. Yeah. Is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Um, <laughs> it's funny. You can laugh at this. The book that we gift the most. Uh, what the heck is EOS? That makes sense. Sadly. Uh, I mean, there's lots of good books out there. Best of the team or outside the team? Um, in the team. Uh, outside of the team, um, Richest Man in Babylon is probably a book that I've given out the most. But no, I, uh, I'm not a good giver. Well, I think that's a profoundly uh, impactful book, though, right? I mean, that's kind of in line with you're talking about you're trying to start your business about financial um, um, peace, mm -hmm. right? Not sure that's the word you use, but helping people manage their finances. I mean, that is the book. And what's crazy is I didn't know into that book that if you didn't pay your debts, you were sold to slavery. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. That's how things are done in the past. My goodness. Yeah. But yeah, you have very good reasons to not get into debt. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back then. Alan, you could argue it's similar today. It's similar today. We actually, we, were, we did a whole bunch of memes on Squid Game, right? It was that... I haven't seen that yet. I will probably uh, catch a couple episodes uh, on the flight home. Yeah, so you can watch Squid Game, and then you can package that with ba Richest Man in Babylon, and they, they go hand in hand. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so think about something you want to leave the listeners with uh, while I make a, a couple of quick announcements. Guys, if you guys got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. We've got 14 likes. I think we can get a little bit more. The more we tell the algorithms, this is good content. The more people we'll reach, the more people we will impact. Uh, we do have our all-day sales training in just a couple of days. If you guys haven't signed up yet, it's the last time we're going to have it at $39.97. If you guys don't buy now, this is not a gimmick. We are actually raising the prices. So don't wait. Uh, and then next week, we got Eddie Speed coming to town. Oh, that'll be super fun. That is going to be a very entertaining. Are you going to slow it down? I don't know how you get the audience to hear. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I love a challenge. And 
I'm not gonna be able to contain him. I'm not gonna be able to rein him in, right? We're just gonna have him talk. I think you're getting interviewed. Yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun. So, how? Uh, any last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, you know, we you asked me to come here to talk a little bit about scaling. Scaling's not for everybody. It doesn't have to be. You know, well, you right. and I were talking about this. I had lunch with somebody today who has a beautiful business mm-hmm. and is happy. Yeah, happy. No interest in scaling. No need to scale. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to. So it's a popular word. Mm-hmm. Don't do it unless you want to. And if you're going to do it, do it with the right thing in mind and make sure that you're thinking about the people around you. Absolutely. Don't do it. That's all I really got on that. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I think that, you know, I'm not one to push other people's products, but I mean, Gary Harper does a great job of this, right? Yeah. You can either stay in level three in viability or you can go to five. I don't know if it's called scaling or empire or whatever, but you don't have to go through four, which is kind of a little bit of a barren wasteland. Unless you really want to get to five. If you don't really need to get to five, three is really three is a really good life. Four sucks. One and two sucks. Three is good. Four is awful. Five is great. But you have to have a purpose to, to suffer that. Yeah. Do, what, I mean, in the end, scale for what? Exactly. You got to know your why. You got to know your why. Perfect. How can someone get a hold of you? Uh, easiest way to hear anything about me or the company and uh, anything we can do to help somebody is just sales at sbdhousing.com um, is the easiest way. And the team will know how to connect either me or uh, one of the executive team with somebody. Um, or, you know, if you're interested in, in wholesaling product to us, um, you can just go to sbdwholesale.com uh, and learn a lot more about our business there. Awesome. Thank you very much. Steve, pleasure, sir. Absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for watching.